It's time to get back to the Matt Wyatt Show. Live in the studio. Here we go. Let's get started, shall we? Hour number two in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. Farm Bureau Insurance. Go! With the home team. They are your home team. At Farm Bureau, across the great state of Mississippi. Your hometown heroes. That's your local Farm Bureau Insurance agents. And staying connected to you here on the show, thanks to Seaspire, the number one network in Mississippi. Seaspire, customer-inspired business, internet, fiber. Yes, sir. Now I'm uploading at record speeds. And then for those that know, like I've never been a speed guy. <laughs> so me doing anything fast is notable. And you ought to see how fast this radio show gets uploaded to the podcast every day. It's like you don't blink or you'll miss it sort of thing. Well, that's kind of how the offseason for baseball has felt. Blink, miss it. I mean, here it is, February the 8th. We were doing a little look back with Steve Robertson earlier. Talking baseball, we blink. Now you blink again, and it'll be 10 days from now. It'll be opening day. And you'll be singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game or whatnot. You'll be eating hot dogs and country-pleasing sausage dogs at the baseball game. And, and even if you are there, but if you're not, you'll turn it on the SEC Network Plus, and you'll hear and see this guy on your screen. Charlie Winfield. He's a part of the Out of Left Field podcast with Bart Gregory, and he and Bart will team up on SEC Network Plus broadcast this year. Bulldog baseball, 10 days away. Charlie Winfield on your radio right now. Charlie, where'd the offseason go? Man, kind of got away from us. I tell you what, though, Matt, I'm an Oregon guy. Okay, I'm an. I like the. I like the Oregon music. There. You do. I think we need more Oregon music in baseball stadiums. I do too. This is something I pulled from the internet. It's uh, the and I can't. Her first name is. She's the famous organist for years and years and years at Dodgers games at Dodger Stadium, and I think it's Nancy. Oh, I'm drawing a. But anyway, this is her. I agree with you. The Oregon. We ought to have one, whether real or not. Hey, but didn't we have, uh, Charlie, didn't at State, didn't we have the, the organist for the Atlanta Braves come and, and do a live game on a keyboard or an organ at some point at Duty Noble? Or did I dream that up? No, that's right. And if you went back old school, not even what I'll call the old stadium, but the older than the old stadium, the, the organ was kind of a, a fixture there for a little while. So Yeah. But, alas, progress has gotten away from us, I suppose. <laughs> now we have videos and cool things like that. Oh, yeah, and ribbon boards. That's new this year at the stadium, isn't it? I think I saw those the other day, ribbon boards. Yeah, it's going to be really a big advantage for the people in the outfield uh, because now you're going to have all the information in front of you, your miles per hour, your runs, hits, outs, ball strikes, all that. So you're not turning around and looking at the scoreboard. And I think it's really just going to be – Kind of one more piece to, to making that place very special. No doubt about it. All right, Charlie Winfield on your radio. You can follow him on Twitter if you don't already, at Charlie Winfield. Of course, you hear his voice all over the place. We're talking baseball. Um, and, and, Charlie, a little bit ago I was talking with Steve Robertson about his book and then that kind of transition into talking about this team. And, and a little bit of a conversation sort of bubbled up about this move of Landon Sims from shutdown closer to Friday night starter. What are your honest 
feelings, gut feelings about that move, seeing it happen? So, ultimately, I think, at some degree, we always talk about putting the team first, but I think any time you are a coach and you're trying to build a program, one of the ways you kind of develop trust and one of the ways you bring in players is to show that you have their interest in mind as well. Hmm. And so then if you look at it from the idea of what's best for Landon Sims, the bottom line is you are more likely to be a higher draft pick if you are a dominant starter than if you are a dominant college reliever. And so at one level, I look at it and I say, what's best for Landon Sims? If he can prove that he can be a starting pitcher in the SEC, his draft stock goes up even more, and it makes him more valuable to major league teams in the draft. And so then I come back and say, okay, well, if it's clearly better for him, and keep in mind this is a guy who hasn't you know, lived his entire life being a reliever. He, he knows how to be a starter from high school. Mm-hmm. He's still young. He can adapt. So then the question becomes, what's best for the team? And ultimately what I say is, if the answer to that question is it's kind of a coin toss, which I think this probably is, then you have to ask yourself, all right, let's go back to question one, which is what's better for him? And I think it makes the decision a little bit easier. And I think back to last year, one of the things we saw with Landon, he was really a -a once-a-weekend guy. You know, you think back to that South Carolina series and, a lot of people wanted him to come in for the bullpen. He had on tennis shoes. He wasn't. He, he had pitched a couple innings earlier in the weekend. He wasn't coming in. And so one of the things I said last year after we got only two innings out of him one weekend was, man, if he can only go once in a weekend, then let's get more innings out of him. So I think this gives you a little better chance to get more innings. Now, I understand the, uh, the, the arguments against it, one of which is people say, well, he doesn't have a great third pitch. And what I say is, look, if you truly believe in Landon Sims as a pitcher, then you believe he can develop a, a decent changeup. And and I do. I mean, you know, again, we're not talking a guy who's 40 and setting his ways, right? <laughs> um, there's a whole lot of pitchers with a lot less talent than him can throw a changeup. Why can't he? Sure. And, Charlie, uh, so based on that, you know, developing a changeup, a third pitch – then if we just step back and go, okay, well, how does a Landon Sims compare to a Will Bednar from a, you know, velocity to a, you know, a, a pitch repertoire? I mean, you look at what Bednar did, and to me, if I just look at it just in that comparison, I go, well, you know, absolutely. There ain't no question. Landon Sims could be, you know, a Will Bednar clone. He definitely could. What do you think about that? No, I think that's a fair comparison because the other thing I would say is we know that Landon Sims can give you uh, four innings. We saw that several times last year. And so it's not a big stretch to say let's stretch him out to five, let's stretch him out to six, and then go back and look at Bednar's starts last year. That's what you were looking at most of the time. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of, you know this from watching the Atlanta Braves. We now live in a world where starting pitcher we're thinking five maybe six nobody's really thinking about seven innings anyway anymore uh, because of the talented staffs and the bullpen and the way the game has just changed and so i think that's uh, i think that's a fair comparison and again i think if you go back to i think the idea of the third pitch is a little bit overrated i remember if your first two pitches are dominant i think back to ethan small ethan small would go the entire trip through the order the first time and never throw anything but a fastball. Mm-hmm. 
the fastball was so good he didn't need a he didn't need a second pitch, much less a third. Then the second time through the order, he'd show a curveball now and then, do a little more. And so, I think when you've got a guy like Sims, do you want that third pitch? Yes, but you don't have to live with it. You just got to show it now and then. Sure. It needs to make the scouting report, but it doesn't have to be dominant. It's just got to be serviceable. So, but I, I think I like that comparison. And if you look at the innings pitched, those two aren't far off. Okay, so that's Friday nights. What about Saturday? <laughs> if that's yeah, fair. that's where it gets interesting, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and and I don't think we know, and I don't think the staff knows. Ultimately, Bart and I were having this discussion of, of where do you go and, and how do you start. I know some people think uh, Andrew Walling, who is a transfer uh, coming in, will be the guy. I, I've kind of put my, uh, my chip on the Cade Smith uh, block on this one, mm. uh, at least for opening weekend. You say, why is that? I think, number one, in an opening weekend like that, you kind of want somebody who's been there. And I know that Cade Smith didn't pitch a ton of innings last year, but he's been there, he's been around, he's been on that mound. And I think that I think that may be the difference. But if you told me it was going to be a, a walling, if you told me it was going to be even a Brandon Smith, I couldn't call you crazy. Um, we just, I think it's one of those things you just don't know. But I, I think back to Kate Smith. You know, he pitched in the College World Series three times. They trusted him against Notre Dame in the, the Super Regional. And so I think that's a guy that, as the season went on, they started to trust more and more. I, I, he's not getting as much talk as a Walling, because Walling is one of these guys who's a big, tall left-hander who can throw it you know, 100 miles an hour from the left side. Mm. That gets your attention. But I think with Smith, what you've got a little bit is the the been there factor. Sure. Charlie Winfield on your radio right now. You will uh, see and hear him on the call on opening day, 10 days from today. He and Bart Gregory on the SEC Network Plus. They will be hosting Top 25 Long Beach State. Uh, I got a question from a listener. Uh, Charlie J. Rock texted the show on the Country Pleasing text line, and he wants to know your thoughts about Preston Johnson possibly factoring into you know a weekend rotation spot. I would not rule that out. I'm a big Preston Johnson fan, and I thought one of the kind of things that doesn't get talked about enough is the job he did in that game two in the College World Series. Granted, we put up a lot of runs, mm. but his ability to go out on the mound and just eat up innings and keep Vanderbilt from putting up runs. He pitched five innings that day. Gave up one earned run and against uh, you know in the finals of the College World Series. I, I'm a big fan of Preston Johnson. If you go back and look at his outings last year, that was the only outing though where he went more than two and two thirds innings. Mm-hmm. So he had not even gone three complete in the game all year. He had a lot of those two inning appearances. We stretched him out there. Of course, it's one thing to stretch somebody out when you're up ten to one, eleven one. Uh, it's another to do it to start a game. But I wouldn't rule that out. I think Preston Johnson a little bit gives you kind of what Houston Harding did last year in that you can throw long with him if you need to out of the bullpen. Uh, but if everything else fails, you could start him too. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Preston Johnson. Charlie, what about you know a, a Luke Hancock? And, and I know I'm, I'm sort of – just checking these boxes, this position, that position, this guy, that guy. But I really am curious, kind of your thoughts as we're so close to the year. 
to me, he's such an important part of your team. And so what do you do? Is he your everyday first baseman? It, does he catch more and therefore Logan Tanner doesn't have to catch as much and somebody else is playing first base? How do you, how do you think they're going to juggle that decision right there with this kind of utility guy in, a, in, a, in an excellent left-hand hitting Luke Hancock? I actually think it's going to evolve a little bit, and some of it's going to depend on what other guys can do. Early in the year, I do not think they are going to want to put excess miles on Logan Tanner. It's real easy to say, hey, look, be the catcher, get tough catch, but everybody we've talked to, from Josh Lovelady to to other guys who have had to catch most games in a year, by the time the end of the year gets there, you're kind of beat up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so... Early in the year, particularly, you think, man, we get a midweek game. You want somebody else to catch now and then. And Hancock's really your your best option there. Um, Hancock is a really good catcher. He just happens to be behind playing behind an, an elite catcher. Right. You know, one of the two best in the country. And so I think you're going to have to see him catch more. And then what that does is it gives some options at first base, whether it be Siebert, uh, Von Siebert, the JUCO transfer, or Hunter Hines is coming in as a freshman. You know, if one of those guys hits, then, you know, maybe they kind of force their way. The one thing we know about Chris Lamonis, though, is just because he manages one way the first third of the year mm-hmm. doesn't mean it'll be that way at the back half of the year. And so it would not shock me at all if you see him playing a little bit of first base early and a whole lot of first base later, depending on what other guys do. And, as, look, as you get deeper into the season, you have fewer midweek games, and I think all of a sudden the need to kind of not pile up the mileage on your catcher just kind of goes out the window at that point. At that mm-hmm. point, it's all about getting your best lineup on the field. Charlie, um, I know you and I talked about this recently for another project I'm working on, but we'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on it again. I was talking to Bart here on the show on Friday, and uh, he had some really interesting thoughts about sort of this year's team and following up what happened last year. He mentioned an interview you guys did that we'll get to hear soon with Pat Casey, and, and he mentioned that Coach Casey said, you don't defend the championship. There's no such thing, and basically. In other words, that was last year. This is a whole new team. You're starting over. How should um, – just – you know, maybe pre- presuming it's our place to even do this, but w- what should the message be maybe to our fan base at Mississippi State going into this year, coming off a national championship, and how we handle what are going to be ups and downs throughout the course of the year, and maybe even some of them early? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You, I've been asked the question a few times of what was the turning point last year and uh, I've kind of come up with different ideas and more recently have settled on the idea of there wasn't one. Hmm. And what I mean by that is the team that you saw was the team that you had all year long, and that was a team that was very unselfish, uh, a team that saw guys in and out of the lineup, but when they went out, they didn't give up. You know, they were ready for their turn when it came back. And it's really hard to capture that, Matt. You think about the teams you've been on that have had success, you know it when you're on one of those teams. Mm-hmm. You know it when you're around that group that's just different. And it's hard to recreate that magic uh, once, a, you know, twice in a decade, much less back-to-back years. And so 
that's going to be a little bit of, of a challenge, you know, as far as the team goes. As far as the fans go, I thought another thing Pat Casey had to say was great. He said uh, the best thing a program can have is a, a group of fans with unrealistic expectations. Mm. And because he said what that says is we're doing something right because people are expecting great things out of us. And he said, you know, you you look at this Mississippi State team this year, they are realistically just not going to be the same team every day. I mean, they've got to create their own identity, become their new guys. And I've always said, too, that one of the most challenging things in sports is to put together that magic again when some of your best leaders have left the room. All right, so you go back last year and you look, whether it's a Houston Harding or a Will Bednar on the pitching side, or certainly we know about uh, Rowdy and Tanner in the field, you know, now somebody else has got to figure out, all right, now it's my turn to be that guy. Now it's my turn to be that voice. And that's, look, it's a whole lot easier to follow than it is to lead. And I think that's one of the things that it's just going to take some time. And I go back to last year. Look, this team got swept by Arkansas last year. This team went two and done in Hoover. It got two out of three taken from it by a bad Missouri team. The difference was, though, that team wasn't affected. And I think for a fan perspective, it's just going to be important to kind of take a, a long view, not a short one. You know, going back to Pat Casey, they won the Pac-10 the first year that they won the national championship. The next year they finished sixth. You know, they barely get in the tournament. But they had something, and they were able to put it together. Uh, you could be really, really good in the SEC West this year and finish fourth yeah. and finish fifth. It's just, the, the, you know, you look, eight of our series this year against teams in the top 25. Mm-hmm. So, look, it's a tough road, man, and the margin's really thin. No doubt. Not to mention the opening weekend, Long Beach State top 25. Your first SEC weekend is going to be on the road at 16th-ranked Georgia, who's recruiting, you know, um, first and second round pitchers and so yeah it's gonna be tough and charlie it's funny how you mentioned that you know there no turning point it's almost like very realistically you can look back at that team last year and go okay they played 68 total games that game they won to win it all was the 68th game of the year they played 68 games and it's like 65 of them the first 65 were just really all about positioning yourself right i mean it's like we forget that baseball is so long, it's so much different, you can't look at it through a football mindset, and really, you just got to get in position and then play your best at the end. That's really what it's about for every team, isn't it? Yeah, and I've kind of made the comparison before, uh, to now and then, you just need to get to the point where it matters, give yourself a chance, then hope things click, hmm. and hope somebody gets hot. And what Mississippi State had never been able to do before, they got in the position, but they had never been able to get a couple of guys all hitting at the same time. And last year it worked. And so I just kind of say you kind of just kind of keep knocking on the door and hope it's your turn. And I think you make a great point, though, and I give, I give Chris Lamontis a lot of credit for two things. One is the ability to keep players engaged even when things aren't going their way. Mm. You could go – Half a dozen guys on that team last year lost their spots, got it back, moved around, lost it, but they never disengaged. And it's, you know, how fitting that you have a Tanner Leggett driving in a Braylon Skinner to send you to the championship game, two guys who you know, could have given up under a lot of other circumstances. 
But the other thing that I, I give Chris Lamonis credit for is he manages with a big picture in mind. You could tell last year he wasn't managing to win the SEC. He was trying to manage to put himself in the best position to win it all. And I think ultimately that's what gives uh, this program a, a chance to do it again. If they, you know, players need to understand, fans need to understand, it's about the final result, not not every individual game along the way. That's absolutely, and it it'll be hard to remember that for all of us, Charlie, for sure. Hey, man, uh, it's good to hear your voice as always. Baseball ten days away. Thanks for some of your time. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Matt. Talk soon. All right, that's Charlie Winfield. Y'all follow him on Twitter if you haven't already. At Charlie Winfield, it is such a good reminder, you know, and. Far be it for me to come in here 10 days away from the season and start to, you know, downplay stuff and say, well, we need to lower our expectations. No, 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 no. No, we're not talking about lowering expectations. I just think I, as much as anybody else over the years, am very guilty of approaching other sports and looking at other sports through almost a football lens. And and what I mean is, you know, in football you're playing 12 games – And there is no such thing as a series that isn't crucial, let alone a quarter or a half or a ball game. Well, in baseball, yeah, every midweek is important and everything, but your your hope is to play 68 games somewhere in that neighborhood and to be playing in the last three. Therefore, there's a few innings in the first 15 or 20 that you just got to accept it. It doesn't go too well. It just won't be the end of the world. It's always good to be reminded of that. Rolling along. Stick around. And here comes Matt Wyatt up to the plate. The pitch. Whoa! It's a high fly! Knocking him out of the park for great sports talk. I'm talking way back. It's the Matt Wyatt Show. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba! Back! With you in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio, Farm Bureau, go with the home team. It has been too long since I hit one of these buttons over here that I am about to hit on my soundboard. Just stay tuned. I'm Matt in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio, Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They are your home team, your hometown heroes, your local Farm Bureau insurance agents. Y'all know Kobe, who listens to the show, he got to tweeting me a little bit ago and alerted me to something that gives me a good reason to hit this. That would be the JSU Sonic Boom live in your living room or in your automobile. Roll down the windows. Reach up to the radio. Turn it up to 11. Ride around and see if you turn any heads. Okay, so they've got a little switcheroo on the football schedule at Jackson State. And I'm about to tell you what, when, where, and how and all that. All right.
right. So Kobe, t- see, he tweeted me earlier, and he said, man, this has got to be a topic today. He's looking at Jackson State's football schedule, which has been released for 2022, and there is a change. And y'all may have heard a little bit about it. Uh, I know I did, too, and I'm not super-duper familiar with the details as to why. I just know that this this game where they would go to the Liberty Bowl in Memphis and play against, uh, who is it? They play against uh, Tennessee State, right, in the Heritage Classic. You know, the Eddie George team. and They play in the Heritage Classic up there in the Liberty Bowl. I guess it did every year, right? And not doing it anymore. Off the schedule. It ain't on there. And uh, have added... They have added Grambling as a non-division conference game. Okay, so it's a non-division, according to Kobe on Twitter, as a non-division but SWAT conference game. But they added Lane College for homecoming onto the schedule. So, so in other words, like if I were to summarize everything I just rambled through, they moved the Heritage game at Liberty Bowl Stadium off the schedule, not on the Jackson State schedule, and have added a regular season game with Grambling and have added Lane College from where they're, they're from Tennessee, not too far from here, just across the Tennessee line up there in, where are they? Well, is it Jackson, Tennessee? It's just across the Tennessee line up there north of, Colum- of uh, Corinth, excuse me. And they've added Lane in there on October the 1st as a homecoming game. So no Heritage Classic, no trip to the Liberty Bowl. Now, there's a regular season game with Alabama A&M, and I guess that one would have already been on the schedule. And just like you would expect, the season finale is against Alcorn State. This coming year, 2022, it'll be hosted by Alcorn State and Lorman. But yeah, so a little bit of a schedule shakeup, and I, I don't know that there had to be some sort of super duper motivation to take or to just basically walk away from the game at Liberty Bowl Stadium up there, the Heritage game. But what could it be? Does anybody know? I don't know. So now it looks like this. Now the Jackson State football schedule, defending SWAC champs, Led by Coach Prime, the season opener is going to be on a Sunday, September the 4th. Sunday, September the 4th. It'll be just like last year. They'll open it up at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami against Florida A&M. Last year it was a 7-6 ball game. Week 2, they are playing, and again, I don't know if this is some sort of classic game or what, but the schedule says they're going to go to Birmingham to Legion Field, but at Legion Field in Birmingham, they are playing the University of Arkansas Pine Bluff. I now, think they may be playing that game at that new stadium. Well, you I, would I, think. I'm hearing that anyway that they're going to they're going to play there at the new UAB stadium. They built that okay. Stadium. Well, then maybe this is just uh, a typo. Then and somebody filled in the wrong information. Maybe it's in Birmingham. It's just at the new stadium, which is on the other side. Of I sixty five. It's pretty too. That's a nice. Oh, it's place. nice. It's hey, a beautiful stadium. It's UAB's home stadium. Yeah, the home of the Blazers. 
Right, and they played the Alabama State Championship games there in high school this past year. Mm. It's it's sitting. It shares a parking lot with Top Golf. Yep, forty five thousand capacity. Yeah, it's just right. See, and that's on the east side of I sixty five, and the old Legion yeah, Fields right there. Right. going to play that one. So okay. Well, the schedule says Legion Field, but that, that that wouldn't make any sense for them to go play it at Legion yeah, Field anyway. Because nobody's going to be using it. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to be kept up, that's for sure. Okay, and then week three, Jackson State comes back home, third week of September, for three straight home games. Saturday, September 17th, they're going to host Grambling at Veterans Memorial. TBA on these game times and stuff. We're still early here. Then the last weekend of September, they will host Mississippi Valley State at Veterans Memorial. Then the first week of October, October 1st, they'll host Lane College for homecoming. They'll score 100 points if they want to. Jackson State will in that game. Then uh, the rest of October after homecoming is Saturday, October the 8th, the return trip to Montgomery, Alabama. To play Alabama State, last time they played over there two years ago, remember it was a little, well, not well, two seasons ago, it was a little iffy. The whole video board stuff after the game and everything with Coach Prime. Middle of October, Saturday, October 15th, they will travel to Daytona, Florida, take on Bethune-Cookman. Then they get an open date, third week of October. And the final week of October, Jackson State will host Southern from Baton Rouge. That's Saturday, October 29th. And then three games in the month of November for Jackson State. November 5th, they'll travel to Texas Southern out in Houston. November 12th, they will travel to Mobile to uh, take on Alabama A&M. That's what it says. But Alabama A&M's home is in Huntsville. That can't be right. Why would they play them in Mobile? Unless that's a. But then uh, the last game of the year, Saturday, November 19th, they go to Alcorn. So at least according to the schedule, there will not be any home games in Jackson in November for Jackson State. That's what, you know, unless there's a typo in here somewhere. All right, let's head over to the phone line, Divinity Equipment phone, Divinity Equipment in Madison and in Jackson, your Kubota dealer, Mad Tiger on line one. What's up, Mad Tiger? Hey, Matt. Hey. That's good. Look, those are classics, and uh, they're being paid uh fair amount of money to do those games like the A&M game that's in Mobile. Okay. All right. Yeah. And they bagged out of the Tennessee State game because uh, the classic that they're playing, uh, I want to say it's in Birmingham. Uh-huh. In Birmingham. The first year. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah I, and I think after this year to be Southern from then on, but uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but I was told the money was two to close to three times more than what they mm. got for going to Memphis. Okay. That makes sense then. And see, that's what we were, you know, I wonder, the one in Birmingham, according to this schedule I'm looking at, Mad Tiger, is the second game of the year. They're playing Arkansas Pine Bluff, but it's going to be in Birmingham, one of these classic games. This schedule says Legion Field. Bill and I were wondering if it's going to be the new stadium in Birmingham over there where UAB plays. Do you know which one it is? I do not. Okay. Um, did they not? Did they not renovate Legion Field for well, UAB, or they did the new stadium? They, it, it was, it was not as much. What I understood, it was not as much renovations as it was some basic upkeep that nobody had done for a while. If that makes sense. Okay. And they finally did okay. that. But one of the things that I heard about Legion Field 
Mad Tiger was that the turf itself had gotten to a point where it's basically unplayable. And and without oh, okay. without it, it was one of the reasons that they didn't go ahead and you know, they were gonna try to, you know, play a few more games there. Uh, but they hadn't done that. And like the high school games, they played them on the new stadium in Birmingham because they don't want to play any of that stuff on the old turf. So I'm just wondering if it's going to be at that new stadium. I'll see if I can find out. I will find out, uh, and, and I'll let you know. I yeah. don't know if it'll be today, but uh, tomorrow for sure I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah, thank you very much for that. And then the other is okay. Lad, Lad Peebles in Mobile is what's on this schedule. And that's the old stadium that South Alabama played in where they used to have the – Mississippi-Alabama All-Star Game every year for high school. And, you know, recently, within the last couple of years, University of South Alabama built a brand-new stadium there in Mobile also. So um, it'll be interesting to see which one is which. Hey, Mad Tiger, thanks for calling. Appreciate that. Yeah, I'm looking here. I don't see a new one. I, I, I was looking to see. Here we go. Now we have a USFL team playing in that stadium, okay, too. Okay. Um, Legion Field. All right. According to a story from just a couple of weeks ago, it is a one of the SWAT Classic games, and it is going to be at Legion Field. Um, you which think is, they use the brand-new field, yeah. Well, and here's the thing about it: if they're going to use that for the USL, USFL stuff, yeah, they're the Birmingham I, Barons are playing. There. Okay, well then I guarantee you they're putting new turf in it. I is guarantee it you it'll Barons? be a I guarantee you it'll be a new turf surface, which is one of the big yeah. issues with it. I think the Barons is a baseball team. I can't think of them. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah the playing Barons, the New Jersey Generals there. I know. Okay. USFL. Well, I bet you then it's gotten a little bit of a facelift and new turf, and that yep. kind of opens it up to some college games. That's good. All right, y'all stick around. He's going all the way. Bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. With playoff caliber sports talk, it's the Matt Wyatt Show. Three minutes for your life right now. That was, um, you know how Facebook gives you these memories? You know, you look on Facebook and they go, hey, look at this picture that you posted on this day seven years ago or whatever, you know. <clears throat> and the one I just saw just a minute ago during the break was eight years ago. It was this day back in 2014. <clears throat> My daughter would have been two years old, going on three. And she <laughs> we went to one of these little birthday parties. It was at a church uh, here in Tupelo and had a whole room in the like multi-purpose area fellowship hall if you will of the church there kids everywhere and they had a magician this guy who was a magician there entertaining the kids and i remember the guy was very good and he'd given all the kids a little plastic their own little magic wand and stuff but the picture we took was like he he had these kids sat, sitting out there and they were paying attention to him doing his magic trick and they were most all of them were sitting there, but my daughter was the one on the edge who was not impressed at all. <laughs> and the picture is the group of kids over there looking at the magician. He's going through his deal. And my daughter's over here to the side, laying on the floor, face down, arms out, legs out, holding that. She's got that little <laughs> wand in her hand, and she's looking the opposite direction 
the guy's behind her over there, like 15 yards from her, and she's just over here like she's sprawled out on the floor, just not even doesn't even know there's a magic trick about to happen. Doesn't care. She was the one who she was over it. Over it completely. You didn't figure that stuff out. <laughs> I was, know how you do that. You can't fool me. It's like, I mean, she was just not impressed. Anyway, it's a great picture. <clears throat> so I'll be sharing that one here pretty soon. Welcome back to the show. I'm Matt in the Bureau. You know, I don't have uh, today any television or Hollywood nuggets of information in the Wayback Machine to, to throw your way. I don't have any of those today. There were some American Bandstand nuggets for music acts and singers, songs and stuff, but I didn't recognize any of those, so I just skipped over them. But there was this over in the sports category today on the Wayback Machine, and I'm telling you, I don't think I've ever heard this before. I, I'm sure it's common knowledge, maybe, whatever. You all may realize this. I had no idea this ever happened. But it was on this day in 1983. 83. February the 8th, 1983. One day after taking the job as director of sports promotions for the Claridge Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City, Mickey Mantle was ordered to sever his ties with Major League Baseball by Commissioner Bowie Coon, or Bowie Coon, however you pronounce it. Huh? Ed Bowie Coon. Bowie Coon. Bowie Coon. Mickey Mantle joined fellow Hall of Famer Willie Mays as players banned from baseball by Coon for involvement with legalized gambling. Now, how do you grow up to be my age? So I worded I the words I used there made it sound as if I was still growing up. I, I'm grown. Okay. How do you get to be my age and you didn't know any of this? That Mickey Mantle at one point was banned from baseball because of his association with legalized gambling. And Willie Mays? I mean, what happened there? What was the outcome of this? Why did I not know this? Neither one of them were playing then, right? Right. They weren't playing. This is 1983. Yeah. So 80- what's the deal? Okay, and I would assume that by 1983, they both were already in the Hall of Fame also. I'm sure, yeah. Right? Yeah. Let's just look it up real quick to be um, thorough. Go on and live their lives? What, what's this about? All right. Mickey Mantle's Hall of Fame induction. 1974. Okay, so he went into the Hall of Fame nine years earlier in 1974. Okay, Willie Mays, I would bet that'd be about the same time, but but I know they weren't in the same class. No. Uh, Willie Mays. When was 1979? Yeah. All right, so Mantle goes into the Hall of Fame 74. Mays goes in in 79. Or, yeah, elected to the Hall of Fame in 79. Okay, so for each of those guys, for Mays five years later, for Mickey Mantle nine years later, this apparently happened. 
Mickey Mantle, in 1983, took a job as the director of sports promotions for the Claridge Casino in Atlantic City. And baseball commissioner Bowie Kuhn ordered Mickey Mantle to sever his ties with Major League Baseball, joining Willie Mays as players banned from baseball by Bowie Kuhn for involvement with legalized gambling. So whatever happened to that? Did it just stay that way forever and I never knew it? Did it? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, was there never a reinstatement? How is this even possible that all that happens and I never knew it? What was the outcome? I must know. Now, maybe even and maybe even more famous than that, okay, on this day back in 1983, when they banned Mickey Mantle from baseball, even though he was done and in the Hall of Fame already. Maybe even more so than that. Three years later, Y'all will remember this. Maybe the most amazing thing y'all have ever seen. You just don't re- remember. You don't realize it. Three years after that, on this day in 1986, 1986, five foot seven inch Spud Webb of the Atlanta Hawks won the NBA Slam Dunk Contest. <laughs> I remember that one. Remember? Oh, yeah. That was pretty good. <laughs> Spud Webb. Spud won a dunk contest. Okay, so that was in 86. I would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of about, I would have been about 10 years old. So I was in like the fourth, third or fourth grade that year when it happened. Okay, so you have to think of it in these terms then. In subsequent years is when I really started growing as a kid. Fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. So I'd have been in the eighth grade just three or four years after Spud Webb won the dunk contest, and that was about the time that I grew to a point, and I was playing ball, just it's constant, it's all, all at that point in my life, it's all baseball, basketball around the clock, and I'd finally grown to a point where I started thinking about dunking, dunking a basketball. I wanted to dunk, okay, and you, I, everybody, every kid in about 1989, 1990, idolized too, Michael Jordan, okay. And the NBA was humongous back then. And so you'd go to P. You all know what I'm talking about in junior high. You go to PE or you're in a gym, and what's everybody trying to do? I'm trying to touch the rim. Who can run up there and jump high enough in the eighth grade to touch the rim? And I realize that now times are different in 2022. There's a lot of eighth graders who can dunk. Okay, Kids are bigger, stronger, faster. I saw a video the other day of a kid in Mississippi who's in the sixth grade, and he runs up there and dunks it. Okay, but it was different back then. <laughs> you know, and I do remember at one point, I actually started dunking, I think, when I was in the ninth grade, the very next year, which would have been about 90, 91 for me. Okay, but still, you're only about five years removed from Spud Webb having won the dunk contest. And I do remember thinking back then, man, Spud Webb is five feet, seven inches. And if he can dunk, I can dunk. <laughs> I'm going to do it. At some point, you watch the videos. I mean, here's the thing. Go find a person who's five feet, seven inches tall and stand next to him. And go stand up under a 10-foot regulation basketball goal and just look at it and try to figure it out. 
It's really not supposed to be possible. I'm still amazed that it happened. And then you watch the video and you'll be even more amazed. The guy was not limited in any way. Could dunk any way he wanted to. Five feet, seven inches tall. Little old bitty squirt. Athlete, man. And I will say, uh, when I was in college, in my signing class at Mississippi State, signees in 1995, one of my teammates, same age, came in when I did. Chris Rainey. Y'all remember Chris? Chris won a state championship under Bobby Hall at Amory High School. Chris was an option quarterback at Amory. And he came to Mississippi State to be a running back. And Chris was only, I mean, I don't know what they listed him as, but I would say that he was only probably 5'9 at the most, maybe 5'10, but I may be giving him a couple of inches there. He was, he was maybe 5'9. Okay. And we were in a gym one day just playing basketball, messing around, and he said something about, hey, Matt, I want you to throw this ball up there and bounce it, and I'm going to 360 dunk it. I said, no, you're not. He said, yes, I am. You watch. I said, there ain't no way. <laughs> I threw the ball. It bounced on the block. And five foot nine inch Chris Rainey jumped, caught it in the air, 360, slammed it. And ever since then, for 30, almost 30 years, when I see Chris Rainey, he reminds me of that. He will remind me of that the next time I see him. Hey, you remember when you thought I couldn't do that 360 dunk? <laughs> yeah, I sure do. I couldn't believe it. I ran out of the gym. All right. Fun show today. Appreciate y'all. We'll do it again tomorrow. I'm Matt. See you then. See you.